You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, welcome to Longform Podcast. I am Max Linsky. I'm here with Evan Ratliff and Aaron Lemmer. How are you guys doing? You were out in San Francisco this week, no, Evan? That is correct. I was out for Pop-Up Magazine, the live magazine, live show with Beck. I'm sure it was great. Was? Uh, who did you talk to when you were in San Francisco? I talked to Matt Honan uh, of Wired Magazine and Wired.com, and uh, you probably know Matt from the fact that he got hacked, and he wrote a big story about it, and... Uh, but he's written a lot of other stuff too, and he has an interesting background, and he's funny. So I think people will enjoy listening to him. If you think people would enjoy listening to you, you might want to start an email newsletter, possibly through Tiny Letter from the good people at Mailchimp. They are our sponsors, and we thank them. Here's Evan and Matt. Hey, Matt. Hello. We're live on air. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon to you. The first thing I have to say is, you look really fit right now. I've lost ten pounds since you saw me last. Really? Mm-hmm. What's 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 happening? I remember when you were at Gizmodo, you had a thing where you were do you were using the Fitbit or some technology thing. But I was using a lot of it. Didn't, it didn't. It didn't. And, and like, so here's what I found as I've gotten older is that like it doesn't really matter how much you exercise as much if you aren't on some sort of diet. In terms of weight loss, at least for me personally, I don't hear that. That's not something that I'm ready to hear. Yeah, it's true. I'm sorry. I'm still like doing slow jogging. Yeah, as my answer to everything. So yeah, so I've been on a diet for about a month, month and a half now. Well, it's working. Thank you. Like it. So I, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. I think the, the because this is the long form podcast, and because it was such a big thing, uh, pretty recently. I feel like the natural place to start is just with the hacking story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like starting at the end or starting in the middle. We'll get back to some other, how you kind of got to that point. But um, we were just talking about it a little bit before we started, like the implications of it. But a lot of people will know that story. I mean, people will know you from now seeing you on TV, talking about it. Like Wired and other places have done stories like how not to become Matt yeah. Honan, basically. A little embarrassing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... I just want to hear the first, I know it's in the story, but just tell me again the first thing that happened uh, that sort of set that whole thing off. The very first thing was my phone uh, 
turning off basically. So mm-hmm. I, I was I had just gotten home and was playing with my daughter, and my phone. I, I, a friend of mine had called, and I was like, "Hey, I just got home. Let me call you back in a minute." And my phone turned off, and uh, I thought the battery was dead or something, and so I went and plugged it in. And when I plugged it in, the because uh, I was expecting him to call back, um, or, or I was going to call him back. I don't remember. Anyway, I went and plugged it in, and when I did. Uh, the screen showed that uh, that same screen that you see when you first get a new iPhone and start to set it up with the you know the the symbol that's sort of the international plug this into iTunes. Um, it's like you know restore from backup or set up as new phone. I was like mm-hmm. what? And so I, 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 I entered my password to restore it from an iCloud backup. And I just thought the phone had crashed at this point. I thought like you know things happen. And um, I entered my password and it, and it said it was wrong. And again, I just thought like all right, well, you know, this is dumb. I'll just go and I'll hook it up to my computer and restore it from the backup on my computer. But when I opened my computer, it only showed like a normal screen for a fraction of a second. And mm-hmm. when it did, an alert popped up that said my Google Calendar password was wrong. And that sort of took me, you know, uh, took me back a little bit. And then uh, the screen went gray and asked for a four-digit PIN and said that there was a remote wipe in progress. And to stop it, I needed to enter this PIN number, which I didn't have. I had an iPad in my bag. I pulled it out, and I saw it was also in the same remote setup state. Immediately, I was like, oh, uh, oh shoot. Um, you know, something's like bad. Something's yeah, bad. yeah, something, something, something bad is going on, and I need, to, uh, I need to figure out what it is. It's an incredible narrative of sort of like what happens to you after that moment. But what I'm interested in is what was the moment in this where you said, this is a good story? Because I'm sure you had like a whole bunch of oh shit moments and your pictures are gone and yeah. all the things. But was there a moment where you said like, oh wait, I'm going to write about this? Um, well, I right away, one, one of the things that happened was that, you know, I, I had been at Gizmodo before I was at Wired. And um, I don't even know if you can still do this, but, but you, you used to be able to log into multiple accounts and link them on, um, on the web, on Twitter. And so you wouldn't have to sign in and out again. You know, you could just swap accounts. And uh, so I had a Gizmodo login on my account. And so, one of the things that they had done was they—I mean, the whole point for, for for hacking me, for like like deleting my hard drive and all that stuff was to actually just keep me locked out of my Twitter account, which they only wanted because it was a three-character Twitter handle. It was just for you know, it was just for kicks. Yeah, your MAT. Yeah, it was just it, it was there was no like real you know nefarious motive to for for deleting my Google account and all this stuff other than just to like keep me from being able to get back in but when when they had my twitter account uh they immediately started posting all this racist like homophobic nasty stuff and they also saw that they could get into the gizmodo account from there and which had i don't know how many hundreds of thousands of millions of, i have no idea followers and started doing the same thing on there so immediately like once i was able to uh get back online again using a neighbor's computer and, and like sort of get things figured out and that was that was at like nine o'clock that night it's been going on for several hours um i felt like i had to address that because not only had it sullied my reputation it had sullied uh gizmodos so i wrote about it right away um on, on tumblr just to sort of address what had happened yes i'd gotten hacked and i sort of speculated about how it had uh it might have happened um the hackers saw that and corrected me and said no it's not how it happened um and when when they kind of began to scribe, I mean, I, I sort of I, I asked the, like it was initially I think it was sort of a bragging type of thing, you know. And um, when I sort of understood that it happened because it wasn't like they had brute forced my password or done some elaborate thing, but that it was a social engineering trick 
um, I, I immediately kind of thought that it might have like bigger, wider implications mm-hmm. and um, wanted to, at that point, sort of step back and I thought it would be a good story you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and like write about how it was done and how they managed to do this because they had so totally owned me. Like they had, they had gotten my, I didn't know this immediately, but I, I knew immediately they had gotten into my Twitter, uh, Apple, and Google accounts. I didn't know. They'd also, it turned out, I got into my Amazon account, which is the gateway to everything else. But, right. um, you know, and so I knew that somebody could, could do some sort of social engineering trick where they could get into all three of those systems that uh, it had to be, you know, it had to be pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. And then what did the sort of story process unfold from there? Because you were writing, you wrote some online uh, and then you folded it into a magazine. Yeah. So, so I, um, so I'd written the, I'd written like an initial post just on my Tumblr to sort of say, hey, I was hacked. This is not me posting all this stuff, um, which went to the top of Hacker News or, or up or was very high on Hacker News which is a, which I should say if people aren't familiar it's not like Hacker News it's not like a news site about hacking it's a it's a technology yeah, news site tech news, um, yeah. it, that had already generated a lot of interest and over the weekend I started I, I started talking to one of these two hackers these kids you know and we started messaging each other on Twitter then AIM and then email and um you know, he told me a few things and then he sort of got a little bit reluctant, was like, I don't think I should tell you anything, you know, wait a second, what am I doing here talking to this guy, telling him what's going on? And, and I, I said basically like, look, if you tell me how you did it, I, you know, I, I promise you I won't file any charges. I never have, you know, I won't mm-hmm. file any charges. I've, I've actually had law enforcement agencies get in touch with me and say, would you? And I, I didn't. Oh, um, really? Federal or local? Uh, I don't know how much I can say about that, yeah. actually, yeah. you know I mean? But, but certainly, you know. It's contacted by more than one agency. I'll yeah. say that. Um, it was high profile. So, um, so, anyway, so I, I, I just I wasn't gonna, uh, you know, I sort of assured him that I, that I was going to treat it as a reporter, not as a victim. And um, so, he walked me through how everything had happened. Um, and then uh, over the weekend, I was able to confirm some of that with uh, Amazon and Apple um, by calling their tech support. Um, yeah, you guys tried it, right? And- well, first I got first Apple told me like first when I called Apple tech support, the guy who I talked to told me when the call had been placed to my account, and so I was able to confirm the, and, and, uh, the call had been placed and like you know how it had, uh, or, or at the time you know that the hacker said he had called you know mm-hmm. times matched. Uh, hacker told me he talked to a woman. Tech support guy told me it was a woman who took the call. You know, I mean, there's stuff like that that just matched up. So I was able to say, okay, well, that that that's you know, th- that's right. And then we and then yes, then we tried it. We tried it on our own accounts. So we we, we tried the Amazon part. Basically, they're calling Amazon, and it's kind of complicated. But they're adding a credit card number to an account and then calling back and saying, here's my credit card number on my account. Can you reset my password mm-hmm. um, or, or or give me a temporary password, which I think is all they did, and um or something like that. And um, so we were able to do that. We were able to do. Uh, both of those things um, and we tried it on multiple uh, Apple accounts because we wanted to make sure it wasn't a fluke uh, I also um, wound up speaking with some people inside of inside of some tech support um, call tech sources c- call centers yeah, yeah sources who were able to basically confirm to me that this is how this works and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, so at that point we felt like we had everything really solid and we published a story on uh I believe at the end of the day that Monday, this happened on a Friday uh, on wired.com that was, uh, you know, that sort of ran through, you know, step by step. Here's how it happened. And, you know, here, here are the steps they took. And, and, um, and were yeah, you, were it. you, did you feel at that point you were, you were already in it and you're like, I'm going to tell the story. Did you have any moments of hesitation where you're kind of like, wait a minute, I'm going to be out front of this thing. This is going to be a story about you and it's going to either make you more of a target or 
be embarrassing in some way to have to tell the story? I I knew from the get-go it was going to be embarrassing. Um, the thing I wrote on Tumblr before I wrote it, you know, I mean, one of the things that I copped to was not having any backups, both on um, both on Tumblr and on, and on uh, that initial story on the web. And I knew I was going to take a lot of grief for that, you know. And uh, But I didn't necessarily have much hesitation about doing it. I mean, in terms of for that reason, I mean, I, it's sort of like... I didn't really care. You know, I mean, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I'm a technology journalist. I should have backups, you know. Um, and it was embarrassing to sort of say, okay, yeah, I, had, I just got, totally got owned like that, you know. But uh, I also thought it was, I thought it was significant and interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't really care about being embarrassed that much. Um, what I did care about was that it did, it, and I hadn't realized to the extent that it was going to put me out in front and sort of being a target again. Mm-hmm. And so for weeks after that first story uh, popped up, I was getting like all kinds of like weird password probing things happening to my accounts. Um, and I still do it on occasion. Like I still like I'm still like really, really, really deeply paranoid about uh, getting hacked. And like I still have a little bit of like, you know, um, I'm still a little bit fearful of being too open about what's going on with my accounts or anything like that mm-hmm. or, or saying too much about, you know, what systems I use and things like that. Um I'm still kind of paranoid and I still like almost even have like a little bit of like I mean I don't want to say I don't want to say PTSD because I think it's a lot more serious than what I've got but I still like anytime my phone crashes anytime my computer crashes and that stuff happens you know like I, I completely freak out yeah well there's also I mean there's such access to some things that are so personal I mean you write yeah. about that the photos of your daughter you know were lost and it's not just that those things are lost but it's also that these it seems like these people you don't know or somewhere else remotely have like access to knowledge yeah. about you and your family and yeah it's very it's very it's very troubling you know and like uh, someone else who I wrote about this guy Matthew Prince um, in the magazine story who's the CEO of Cloudflare who'd, who'd had his accounts hacked and they'd actually managed to get around in a very ingenious kind of way and, and, and uh, perhaps not even meaning to but certainly managed to get around his two-step uh, authentication were in his Gmail and um, you know he's talked about how violating that was for him uh, and how he still wonders what could come out of that you know like 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 could something could still happen you know from from the time they're in there uh, another friend of mine uh, who lives in New York actually recently had his uh, laptop stolen and when that happened he uh, not only did they did the did they manage to steal his laptop but they went into his stuff and they went into his email and in his email they found um, Photos that he had uh, been, you know, sending to other other people on, the, on Craigslist mm-hmm. um, that he was meeting, um, and they posted they posted naked pictures of him to his Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's not just something that like I experienced, but like you see, I mean, like getting your accounts hacked is pretty common now, and like we have really deeply intimate stuff in our email. You know, I mean, like our email has just some of our like you know most personal moments you know it might be some some uh, email you wrote to someone in your family or received from someone in your family who's deceased it might be you know a picture you never want anybody to see it might be a picture that you that you hold dear you know it may, all these things that are both you know uh, you think of them as being irreplaceable and you also think of them as being something that's just so private you know mm-hmm. and um, but they're not they're not they're not nearly as private as we think they are and what about just the the sort of response to the story? I mean, I've I've had this experience once where I mean, most of the stories you do, especially you do a story. I mean, you did 
like at least three long stories, really long stories out of this. Yeah. Um, and they take a lot of work and they're, they're hard to write and they go through the fact checking process and everything else. And then most of the time, like nobody pays that much attention to them or they get a little feedback online or whatever. Yeah. But here you've got people, they want you on TV. They want you talking about this. What were you sort of embracing that? Like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do all of this stuff now because everyone wants to talk about it. And this is like a public service to talk about it. Or at a certain point where you're like, I'm sick of fucking talking about this. Getting Both. Yeah. You know, both. I mean, like, uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of weird because it, it was it was like an incredibly shitty thing, but it also like was I mean I mean be honest I mean it was good for my career you know, um, and uh, you know so I, I I was I also felt like it was important and and necessary to uh, to get the story publicity to make it. Uh, to some extent, to to get the companies involved with this and with the I wrote a story with a kid in, in L.A. named Cosmo, um, uh, which which was you know involved several other companies that had security practices. He talked about how to get around those to get mm-hmm. people to change things. You know, to get uh, companies that are that we entrust our data to 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 do things to make that data more secure. Um, and I I feel gratified that like a lot of that has happened. You know, I mean. Uh, Amazon changed their policies like the day my first story went up. Uh, Apple like shut down their tech support for a while, shut down their passwords over the phone for a long time, and has recently launched two-factor authentication. Which I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm solely responsible for, but I think I played a large part in making that happen. And um, you know, a lot of other companies have beefed up security since since that happened. Yeah. Uh, especially as it relates to our personal data, and that's you know, I mean, like our personal data is is so precious to us, and we don't think about it in the way that we think about like our bank account, but we should. Mm-hmm. And I I, I want to step back a little bit because you you've been writing about technology for a while. I mean, certainly since I've known you uh, how long about I fifteen. Know you? I don't know, but I mean, for about fifteen years. Yeah, so. yeah. And uh, there's a sort of I I always notice a funny dichotomy between. Uh, some of the things you write, which are, uh, you know, if we were talking about your, your live blogging, uh-huh. uh, the Google announcements yesterday, and writing like very straight, this is what's happening, like you've got all kinds of background knowledge to bring to it. And uh, then if you look at your Twitter feed sometimes, it looks like you're kind of like, fuck this. Like the question I'm leading to is like, do you actually like technology? Uh, I do. I mean, I do. I mean, I, 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 I embrace it in a lot of ways, but I also think that um, that this industry, especially as it relates to, like, uh, you know, a lot of the silly apps and the silly websites and the silly, like, um, shit that we put up with, you know, um, is, is ridiculous. And it's, 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 it's just such a hype fest. It's such a... Uh, it's just it's just so much bullshit you know people just live off of jargon and and you know and nonsense and their entire conference is devoted to nonsense you know i'm not talking about io but i mean there are conferences that are just you wrote a nonsense great thing about, was it ces for gizmodo that was like yeah it's just this this real like this is a disaster and I feel like I'm a part of it kind of uh, well you know I mean yeah I mean I, I, so, I, mean, I, I like to skewer that stuff because I don't want to feel responsible for that I don't want to feel like I'm making somebody run out and buy some piece of shit they don't need because they feel like this you know it's the it's the you know I mean I, I think technology is is. I mean I, I, I love technology I'm, I mean I'm, I'm, I, I'm fascinated by by 
computers and the connections that we can make between them to improve our lives and the way that we can use all sorts of all sorts of um, things that have come out of the technology industries to make our lives better and happier and healthier and more productive and you know um, but I also think that um, it's god there's so much bullshit and, and, and like there are I, you know I feel like it's it's really easy to like just get caught up in that especially places like here probably New York as well where, where the culture is so just such a hot house of, of everyone you know I mean I'm running around wearing Google Glass the last couple of days you know so it's it's not like it's not like I'm you know I mean I'm part of the problem <laughs> how do you approach it in your uh, in your writing like what is your what is your sort of stance vis-a-vis you I mean sometimes you when you worked at Gizmodo before coming back to Wired yeah. you have to review products you yeah. have to that's yeah. part of that yeah I mean so I, I feel like my, my role is always to be a consumer advocate you know um, I, I wrote something about a bike that I've been riding recently and like I said some mean things about it and like I, I, then I had a you know a somewhat uncomfortable conversation with the with the um, press rep afterwards, and uh, you know, I mean, what I said to him, and this is what I honestly believe, is like, you know, my like my job isn't like I, I don't want to pick on a you know some small bike company or something like that, but I mean, my job is to uh, is to look at things from a consumer perspective and and think about what people may want to either spend their money on, spend their time on, um, invest uh, themselves in, trust, you know, that type of thing, and so. If you can kind of step back and do that, and I think I think I mean I actually think m- most of the better technology reporters do. I think you know most I, I think almost all of the better technology reporters do that. And uh, you know you can you can you know you can do people a great service, but they're such a buzz machine. You know, and you just you just got to try and avoid that. And there, I mean, there's also there's just a whole tech journalism industry that's at a certain level is built around like just pimping the next thing that comes out and just new, 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 new. Right. And then there's this group of, we had Joshua Topolsky on and like, you know, there's a group of people that sort of live above that and try to take like a critical view and do real reporting and that sort of thing. There's this sort of strange kind of like two layer thing happening in tech reporting. It seems like, yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing is, is you want to get the latest, greatest stuff and talk about it, you know? And if because that's what people are interested in. I mean, that's what I'm interested in, you know? I mean, like, of course I want to try out Google Glass. You know, of course I do. It's new and different. And, See, I don't you feel know, that way, but I understand why you feel that way. I don't personally feel that way. I enjoy new experiences, you know? Like, uh, it's the same reason that I wanted to swim across the bay for the first time, you know, from Alcatraz. The same reason I wanted to take LSD when I was in high school. It's the same reason I, you know, like, all that stuff I think is related. You know, I enjoy new experiences and new things and uh, enjoy, like, doing something for the first time and, and learning about it and diving into it. And, um, you know, I, uh, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying other than like, yeah, I want, I want to try that stuff out. And, but I don't want to get caught up in like promoting it for the sake of promoting it. Right. So 15 years covering tech, that would take us back to basically, yeah. 98. Eight. Yeah. Um, how did you get started in that? Because you, you, you came, as I recall, it came like a little late to journalism in terms of your I was in, uh, adult life. Well, I, I came I late to everything in my adult <laughs> life. I mean, I was, it took me a long time to graduate from college. Yeah, I was, I dropped out of college a couple times. Um, First, we should say that you are from Georgia. As I'm from I. Georgia, yeah. Um, I dropped out of college a couple times. Uh, I worked in PR for a year uh, before I worked in journalism. And, and uh, when I was in college, like I'd learned to build like not through 
college coursework, but I, I, I had, um, you know, I had, I had, while I was at UGA, while I was at the University of Georgia, I had, I had um, started messing around with the web and like building websites, and and um, I was doing that for this PR agency I worked for a little bit, and I was doing you know other other um, things like that there, and basically doing some of their high tech work, and then uh, I got an, in, but I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to. I knew I didn't want to stay in PR, and I got an internship at Mother Jones here. At, at uh, their website, and and at the time, like working on the web itself was like, you know, whoa, weird, you know. And, and I, I don't recall exactly. I mean, I know we weren't doing uh, static, I, 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 but I mean, I, th- I, I think we were like at that point still like having like every story we wrote. Basically, we had to write write it, you know, in an HTML web page and like yeah. you know upload it to an FTP server and you know somehow or another and get it on there. Like there was no CMS and. Um, to some extent, I got that job because I could do that, not because I was a good writer or a good reporter or anything like that, you know. And so, I'll have you know that in 1998, I got rejected for an internship at Mother Jones. Really? Okay. I still have. The other day, I just moved apartments. I found the postcard. They sent a postcard saying, "You're rejected. For, like, sorry, we had too many applicants. We can't give you this internship." And when I got the postcard, I remember I was like, "I'm going to save this postcard and someday." I'm gonna give it to the editor, Mother Jones, and be like, "Fuck you." Who was it? Was uh, it? At the time, I have no idea who was the editor. It was because uh, my, my editor was Eric Umansky, who's now at uh, you know ProPublica. Um, oh yeah, it could be. It was like ninety. It would have been ninety-eight. And it could have been. It could have been John Cook, who was uh, John Cook of now of now of, uh, of Gawker. Gawker. Yeah. yeah. I just need to know who to say fuck you to. You I'm not go, sure that's really applicable. You should go though. tell both those guys fuck you. Just because yeah, why not? Just on principle. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you were you you were. Yeah, so I was there. I mean, basically, yeah, and, and like, but I, you know, I wrote about tech stuff for there. Then I went to a, a startup that failed. Then I went to another startup that failed. And then I'm like, you know, was at Macro for a while. And then I basically dropped out again and went to Southeast Asia for a while and then came back. And but one of these startups that failed, I was looking back at it. Wait, where is the, what's the name of this thing? Getting it, probably. Getting it. Yeah. Getting it. I was trying to remember because you wrote about, you, you kind of like recalled it recently in a blog post where you were just talking about something about San Francisco working there. And then I was looking at the, the publication was like getting it a webzine yeah and you had written like a you know when it shut down you had written something and i was trying to remember i mean did you when you were working for that did it feel like that magazine was going to last like this is it this is the new frontier and getting it is going to be the next uh i mean wired wasn't even that old at that point it's no. going to be the next such and such or were you kind of like let's just ride this this is this can't possibly i actually was a little bit Deluded enough to initially, at least for a while, at least to think it was going to be, you know, um, sustainable, um, which it wasn't. We had no, we had no, we literally had no revenue plan. There were no, there weren't even any ads on the site. There was mm-hmm. nothing, nothing, you know. Um, but I always assumed that at some point we would put ads on the site and like, you know, it would make money. And, and I think part of that was a function of like being, you know, sort of young and naive and like very wild eyed. It was a very wild eyed time here in San Francisco. Like everybody was just like, oh man, you know, business plan. You don't need a business plan, you know. And uh, money, money yeah, was flowing just money. Yeah. the streets, like uh, uh, much like it is here now. I mean, I actually think I think I think there's a lot more money flowing around here now than mm. was then. But there's not that cultural kind of you know, oh, all the old ways were wrong and all the new ways are right, and you know, and we're gonna have a great big party and everybody come and hear some ecstasy and mm-hmm. you know, have a good time. That stuff kind of went away. But did that? Did working at those places? Uh, were those just gigs that you kind of got by or did, did was there a, in terms of your writing was there sort of like 
you had the ability to write about whatever you want because the money was flowing. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think they were very bad for me in terms of being a writer. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, both of them were like they were, they were like you can kind of do whatever you want, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't really have I didn't have any um, I didn't have any sort of editorial oversight, you know. I mean, it was just sort of like, hey, go for it, you know. And um, you know, and getting it in particular, like it was, you know, I mean, we, we published things that like you know, blurred the line between fact and fiction, you know, I mean, and not that, not that we are, um, doing things to be not like an adjacent Blair sort of way, mm-hmm. uh, where, where we were making things up, but we, but we, but we had stories that we like intentionally wanted to be sort of, you know, weird and out there and is, could this be real you know more than Thompson sort of way. yeah you know I mean, and this, the editor in chief is this guy are you serious who's sort of a you know legendary um, he was an early cyberpunk writer he's a publisher Mondo 2000 he uh, you know he co-wrote books with Tim Leary you know I mean he's, he, he just actually published some 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 Tim Leary stuff he's and he's a uh, you know I mean he was definitely a someone who's who wanted to experiment you know and experiment with uh experiment with literary forms you know and so like uh, in some in some ways that was that was good because it made me it made me more um you know more interested in what you can sort of do with 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 language but in other ways it was bad because i didn't really have any like oversight in terms of like you know this, this is this is really dumb you should you should not do this this is dumb and so you uh, those things went away. You left for a while, bummed around, and then where did you actually land back in sort of uh, j- journalism? I was uh, I was freelancing for MacWorld. I was freelancing for uh, oh, I, I was stringing for the National Journal. I was there basically their their West Coast uh, reporter out here. Um, I was uh, for Tech Daily, which was their their tech section. Um, and uh, there, I had a few other freelance things, and then, um, but I wasn't making ends meet. And like in in '03, I think I made twelve thousand dollars living in San Francisco. You know, which was brutal. If like if I hadn't been married to a wonderfully indulgent uh, woman, I would have been I would have been like back home with my folks. You know, and um, at the end of that year, I got a uh, freelance fact checking gig here at Wired, which got my foot into the door with writing for Wired which, you know, I mean, worked out pretty well. Yeah, and then you bounce at Gizmodo, and then you bounce back. Yeah. And with the, uh, you've been writing these long pieces, but you, you, you wrote, I mean, I remember a piece you wrote for the magazine. Actually, it's kind of annoyed me because you wrote a piece about, um, you're using every, like, location-aware yeah, so, app, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. which is something I kind of, like, not that explicitly, but I kind of, like, had in my mind, like, I want to do something like that. I mean, this is before Foursquare even got big. Yeah, I remember the piece, I, but I remember using all these like location things on on the uh, the T-Mobile G1, like the first Android phone, and uh, in my iPhone. Um, I think Foursquare was out then, but yeah, it anyway, was. The question I was getting to actually was, um, if you, I mean, do you prefer to stay in the daily mix of, you know, doing some live blogging, doing some shorter stuff, uh, or if you could just choose, would you just write? features i mean a lot of people feel that way like they they actually just want to write features and they can get no. to that point they'll do it no no i like doing i like being in the mix like like that's what like so when um so like i said you know i started off on the web and eventually sort of migrated to magazines and um first at macworld and then here and uh i really love doing longer stuff and i love doing magazine work i love it like because you get so much room to really like hone 
things, but I also really like being in the mix. And this is something like uh, Alexis Madrigal, who's a really good friend of mine and I've talked about, is that, you know, when you're in that day-to-day mix, like, I think you get a really good perspective on what's happening. You know, I mean, it, there's a little bit of, like, forest for the trees problem, but you also get a really good perspective on what's happening. You get to, you know, you have to, uh, uh, you know, stay really current and, and, and see what's going on. And so, like live blogging like at Google I.O. like I love live even though that was brutal it was four hours but I love live blogging because it makes you it forces you to uh, you know it forces you to think quickly it forces you to uh, like use whatever experience you've got about something and, and, and try and show it and give people a perspective and give it to them now you know like like if you're just if you're just sort of reciting what's happening nobody's going to read it so you got you got to like you got to like do some color commentary and some um you know, and some like added like here's what this all means kind of stuff in the in the as it's happening, and it it reminds me a lot of like I'm sure you're familiar with Robin Robin Sloan's stock and flow. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Maybe you should say a little bit about what. So it is. so the stock and flow idea is that basically, uh, and I think he wrote this uh, a few years ago talking about Alexis actually, but um, was that uh, the people who do really well, the writers do really well online today are people who have what he called stock and flow and, and the stock is the longer form stuff and the flow is the shorter form stuff day to day and um it uh it you know you know so to me like like that 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 really resonated with me and um so i try and do a lot of flow if i can which is day-to-day news day-to-day things on twitter um day-to-day you know just of the moment kind of stuff and then and then if you know also be working on some long form stuff at the same time like I'm working on two different long form stories right now that you know that I'm doing sort of simultaneously while I'm trying to do day to day stuff and how do you how do you do that like logistically I mean when you get into like finishing a piece or closing a piece it's a it's a full-time endeavor to some extent How, did, yeah. are you allowed to kind of like take some time it's off complicated yeah i mean so they're i mean wired's actually really good about this because moto's really good about this about you know sort of giving you the okay well you know you're, you're you're we know you're working on this bigger thing and so you know here's a little bit of time to to uh to, to finish that up but it's complicated you know i mean and, and and it sort of means that you end up you know you end up working more than you might want and like sometimes weird hours and things like that you know because like I, I try and like I, you know I have a kid so I try and be home at an early hour and, and that might mean you know and, and do bedtime and all that kind of stuff and that might mean that I work you know like I don't work from like you know 5 to 10 and then I work from like 10 to 2 or something and then I you know and so it's it's a you know and just, you make it work what's your relationship to to competition to other and you're obviously like pals with a lot of people cover the same stuff you see them you know whether if it's a sort of event driven coverage yeah. you're going to see those people but what what's your sort of your your do you feel like turned on by other people chasing the same story do you want to stay away from other people being on the same story i mean i like to i like to uh no i'm not i'm not really into scoops like like you know, some people really 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 want scoops like i really want to really want to break this thing about you know such and such and there are a few scoops that i like to have and and like and like you have to get some in order to you know kind of do do your thing but like uh i don't really feel competitive about that like i, I uh jay rosen wrote something about the hierarchy of scoops and there's like the ego scoop and i feel like that's what most of the scoops you see are where, where you know it's like oh okay well i'm reporting this thing that everybody else is going to have in another 10 minutes right you know and, I, I found out what's coming out that yeah. they're about to announce yeah. to the world themselves yeah and so like you know like that kind of stuff is really good for traffic uh and so, but I don't feel at all competitive about that. What I do feel competitive about is I, I want to have like really interesting stories. If so, you know, if, if somebody's got like a, you know, 
like if I find out another, I, I found out another reporter is working on the same story that I was working on recently, actually, and um, like it made me, it made me like hurry up and publish it. Are you an optimist about sort of uh, doing this kind of work, the kind of work that you do? Do you do you are you sort of say, all right, I can look out five, ten years and and see where this is all going, or do you? Like I find myself, I have some of the like I always have that freelance mentality, which is like yeah. all the stuff could go away in a second. Yeah. I, if you don't keep hustling, like you're not gonna. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's the mentality I have. I mean, I was a freelancer for ten years, you know, and uh, I still have that mentality. Like I feel like I have to hustle. Like I feel like I have to like like if I haven't had something where that's that people have noticed recently, like I feel like oh shit, I got to get something that people notice because otherwise people are going to forget that you know these editors who who sit five feet away from me are going to forget my name you know um and um you know i don't know what it means i i don't know what the future of journalism looks like in five ten years i don't think anybody does i mean i actually think that the atavist is a is a is a you know i mean i'm not, I'm just, I'm not just saying this because you're sitting across from me but like i I, th- I think that the atavist is a pretty like solid take on what things could be you know but but who knows you know i mean like who knows like nobody knows and uh anybody who's says they know is just wrong and like the people who like talk the most about the way things are going to be I feel like are so full of hot air that that, that like you know that nobody knows and like you know there you know there are like a series of stories in the last two weeks like this is the best time ever to be in journalism and this is the worst time ever to be in journalism and, and like it's not true it's all bullshit like, like you just like but what I do think is that um, there's always going to be a market for uh, stories that inform and entertain like there will always be a market for that, and um, if you can write those stories, you will be able to be employed. Will you be able to make the same kind of living that people made in journalism ten, twenty years ago? Maybe not, but like you know, you'll be able to. You know, like 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 clearly, like newspaper unions are a great example of something that's that's just you know been gutted. Like that kind of journalism lifestyle where you could go to work at a daily paper and have that job for forty years and and retire and have a pension and you know and all that kind of stuff. I mean that's that's done but um can you still be a storyteller who's also like in the field of public service and still be you know make a middle class living and and um you know you're probably not gonna get rich but make a middle class living and 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 and, and do okay i think that's going to be around for a long long time mm-hmm. and the the i guess one question is like what is the value of reporting in that there's sort of like writing and storytelling and there's so much stuff online um, but then it's actually leading me to the question that I meant to ask you earlier, which is sort of how did you learn how to report? Because a lot of people can go, uh, you know, there's like you can write about technology. It's, it's out there. Like you can yeah. get it. You can buy yeah. it. Um, but, uh, you know, finding sources like writing about a hacker kid yeah. and convincing him to talk to you like that's a different type of. Yeah, you know, well, you remember I said that uh, in in '03, the end of '03, like I had, uh, like I was like dry and you know, like running out of money, and I and I got a job freelance fact checking here at Wired, and that was actually one of the most valuable things that I ever did in terms of learning how to report because I got to see uh, the back end of some really good reporters and how they worked, you know. And so I had been a reporter at that point for several years, you know. I mean, and, and, like I was, you know, and I, I you know, it, like Mother Jones had a really great uh, learning process for Mother Jones had a, had a very rigorous fact check system as well and, mm-hmm. uh, um, for, for reporters and you know and, and, and I was I was writing for the for the National Journal for Tech Daily and, and like they had you know a good reporting process but seeing really 
like, you know, legendary reporters and seeing like how, how reporters operated, you know, and like I would listen to transcripts, you know, and, um, you know, that kind of thing. And, and like hear how people who were, you know, who had been in the business a lot longer than I had been and were better at it than, than, than I maybe ever will be, uh, worked. And that was like super valuable, you know, and then also quite, quite honestly, like, um, Gizmodo was really, really valuable for me for being a reporter because I wound up having to do so much. So, you know, like, like you, you just got to write a lot there. And mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like even though I was pretty, you know, far along in my career there, like as a reporter, as like a day-to-day reporter, like just, you know, like having to like stay on top of shit, like just constantly, that was really, really good. It probably wipes out uh, any preciousness you might have also about your, about your copy that you just have yeah. to you need expos today and they have they also have to be good but you can't be sitting there yeah like, turning them over and looking yeah. for the perfect word every time yeah it's true it's definitely true you got it you got it we got to get this up now you know is there any book possibility out of the uh the hacking stuff uh i was approached so i've got an agent and i was i was actually approached by a couple other agents even and to be honest with you i just don't think I can write about it anymore. Like, yeah. I, like I kind of want to close that chapter on my life. I could already picture you on the cover, though, the, the photo and everything. Oh, it'd be so appealing, right? <laughs> Especially now that I've lost some weight. <laughs> yeah, that brings us right back to being. That's a perfect. Yeah. There's nothing. There's actually. There's actually nothing like having your picture in a magazine when you're, you know, fifteen pounds heavier than you want to be. Tell me about it. To uh, to make you want to lose weight. <laughs> Seriously, you're like, oh, right. Yeah. That's the. I was in my head. It was the me of ten years ago, but the yeah. one in the magazine. No, no, no. Is the me of yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for doing this. Also, I'm so glad thanks you to Wired for letting us do this here. And uh, good luck. Thank you. All right. Good to see you. That's it for the Longform Podcast. Thanks to Matt Honan for joining me. I'm Evan Ratliff of Atavist. My co-hosts are Max Linsky and Aaron Lammer from Longform. Our editor is Lauren Kirchner. And our sponsor this week was Tiny Letter. Thanks. We'll see you next week. run why does anyone i always thought that runners loved running and that's not the case most runners hate running (laughs) but they choose to do it in the new docuseries running sucks brought to you by teen milk abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance it really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong teen milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.